Welcome back to Who the Hell is This For? Today, before we get into the meat of the episode, I just wanted to make a quick note. There's a lot going on in the world. We stand with the protesters and the people demonstrating right now. Uh, Black Lives Matter. There is not really much we can say other than that we stand in support with everybody. Uh, We don't want to feel like we are minimizing or ignoring the issue by coming out and recording a podcast today. Uh, So if you are listening and you want to get involved and help, donate to one of your local uh, bail funds. There is a Kansas City bail fund. Or look for other organizations that support equality and uh, restorative justice for the black population in our country. We stand with you and we are here for you. So just keep that in mind as we go forward. Again, we don't want to seem like we are overlooking or ignoring things by coming and recording a podcast today, but we're just trying to keep some semblance of normalcy as we keep going. So on that note, how are you guys doing today? Doing all right. Like you said, crazy time, but I'm glad we're still able to come together and do this. Yeah. Yep. Um, For the uh, couple hours that you take out of your day to maybe do some self-care to pause on social media before you get reinvolved. Um, we hope that maybe you'll spend some of that time with us um, and definitely feel like we want to support you as well. Definitely agree with everything Ty you said so far. Yeah, well said. What have you guys been watching lately? Um, aside oh. from TikToks and Snapchats from last night, um, <laughs> we've been trying to um, go through a run of, of old stuff that um, my wife hasn't seen before. So we've been doing a lot of the quote-unquote classics. Um, two weeks ago, we did all three Lord of the Rings. Um, we did Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade um, last weekend. And then this week, we um, watched through all of Maniac on Netflix. Had Jonah Hill and Emma Stone in it. Have you guys seen mm-hmm. that one? Oh, I yes. Have not. not the not the not uh, Tom Savini. Yes, not the Tom Savini feature. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know if that would be exactly. Your wife would not enjoy that. Yeah, one. I don't think Sarah would like that one. Um, no, the the maniac one on Netflix is is um, pretty good. It's um, Carrie Jodie Fukunawa, um, who's done a lot of really good stuff. Um, Who originally was tapped to do the first it right, and then was so. replaced. Yeah, I believe so. Um, she's doing the new Bond film, and I think she's also done like Fleabag as well. Um, oh, we I will pull up some stuff about her, but yeah, it was it was good. It um, oh, Carrie Joji Fukunawa. Okay, there we go. For oh, for the record, it's a guy. I'm sorry. I, that is a man. I have not engaged with the Wikipedia page until just now. My apologies, Gary. Um, I have Gary. That's why I know that sense. My, my bad. Um, but no, it was it was good. Um, there were definitely portions where I mean, it's very it's very cinematic. It's shot beautifully. Um, there's lots of portions where you're like, I don't know if this really needs to be in there. Like it was it was ten episodes, and I feel like I say this a lot, especially with like Netflix, like. It's a 10-episode series. It probably should have been seven. Probably should have been, yeah. like, seven or eight. Because um, there's just so much extra stuff that is cool world-building or it's beautiful, but it ultimately, like, drags the plot. Um, and so I think some of that stuff cut out would have been a lot better. How about you guys? Nice. you been watching. 
Uh, let's see. I think since the last time we talked, we got in a viewing of Halloween. Nice. Um, watched, That's uh, right, because Caitlin, you told me Caitlin asked to watch yeah, Halloween. Yeah, that was Caitlin's request. I was very proud. Um, we watched uh, Dead to Me on Netflix. I've been hearing about that. Yeah, it's a good show. Um, I like that one. What else did we watch? Oh, we watched The Other Missy, or whatever it's called, The Wrong Missy, The Other Missy, the David Spade, uh, oh, Happy Madison production movie. Wasn't that bad. It really okay. wasn't. Okay, okay. Um, Where do you stand on the other Happy Madison Netflix features, though? Uncut Gems is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it kind of took a Famed Happy Madison Gems from their usual... Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think the other ones are pretty, like, they're okay. Like, Netflix is definitely where that company belongs. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I don't hate them. Mm-hmm. Them and uh, whatever whatever Sanchez, the uh, Will Ferrell production company. Oh, Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez, yeah. Oh, I feel like those are watch, both just... See. We did watch the other guys. Speaking of Will Ferrell, oh, nice. there you go. Yeah, I I have only ever seen that once, but I need to revisit it. It holds up. It's it's a it's a good one. All right, I have been just working through a laundry list of things because uh, while I've been working at home, the big sad has hit. So while I've been working, I've just had a lot of distractions on in the background. Uh, I finished both my rewatch of Avatar The Last Airbender and my initial watch of The Legend of Korra. Both really solid. The Legend of Korra is very good, but it also just, it's not the original series because the original series is just such a flash in the pan. Not flash in the pan even, but it's like, it's such a unique and special thing. And I think it's probably one of my favorite animated series of all time. And up there with just my overall pieces of animated media. And I'll actually probably end up talking about it a bit today. But I'm going to leave that for when we get talking. And then I've also just... Last night, Catherine and I watched Onward. Which was pretty good with just an absolute cornball of an ending. Uh, That's the uh, like, dead dead dad pants movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's fun. The fantasy filter on everything is very good. Um, it, yeah, like the emotional beat that they use for the ending is good, but then afterwards, like the epilogue is just corny as hell. <laughs> and it kind of stinks. But overall, I had a good time with the movie. It's a good family movie. It doesn't get as heavy into some topics that, like, other Pixar movies, like, are known for really, like, making people emotional. It doesn't go as heavy as the beginning of Up or um, the end of Coco. But it does have, oh, just a, like, teeny tiny bit of that, uh, just about three-fourths of the way through. Gotcha. And it almost almost felt cheap that it just like didn't ingrain it more into the movie itself, but you know, mm-hmm. whatever. 
And then I also watched, I have to check Letterboxd real quick. Oh, that's a thing I got to get back doing. I know, I've been forgetting to do it. Uh, oh, I watched The Princess Diaries 2 for the first time with Catherine. Oh, yeah, with the mattress surfing. Yeah. Uh, John Reese davies He's in that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that your review of the movie? <laughs> that is my review of the movie. John Reese davies um, is in this movie. <laughs> and then last night as a bit of escapism, I am a big, I love like samurai movies uh, so HBO Max has, uh, th- I don't know if it's a whole series, but it has five of the Lone Wolf and Cub movies, which if you haven't seen them, they rule. They are, they're gnarlier than I expected. Um, I watched the first one, Sword of Vengeance, last night, and it rips. Really, really love that. There is an upsetting scene halfway through to illustrate how bad the bad guys are. Um, yeah, you, you know what I'm getting at. And, but I mean, outside of that, it's a really enjoyable, fun, not fun. It's heavy and grimy, but it's a good samurai movie. It takes itself more seriously than I think a lot of people view movies from that era. Um, especially some of the Shaw Brothers stuff that was coming out. Uh, but I, I really like it. You can see all of the influence that it had on Mandalorian. Um, and there, there is one line, though, that is one of the coolest lines I have ever heard. <laughs> and I text it to my friend. Let me pull it up. Oh, yeah. To cleanse this dishonor, I will abandon the way of the warrior and live on the demon way in hell. Wow. That's his origin, and that's him talking to his infant adopted son. (laughs) (laughs) That's hardcore, man. Yeah, it rules. I I love samurai movies. Lone Wolf and Cub was a great series to start. Jeff, I I got on Letterboxd to catch up, and I saw that you'd... And I forgot, you'd also watch The Predator this week. Oh, I did watch The Predator this week. Um... Oh man, what to say about the Predator? Um, you gave it three and a half stars, so it must. Yeah, have been okay. that threw me off. I I had a fun a seven out of ten. I yeah, it's probably I probably should make it a three. Um, <laughs> I had a fun time watching it. There is some bonkers shit that they do in that movie, which does actually make it feel more like the original because there's there's definitely like goofy over the topness in the first one. Um, especially with like the characters themselves, like there's sure. there's definitely like this like motley crew. Um, although none of them really seem all that tough. Like there's kind of the main guy who's like a sniper. So like none of them are like these big burly dudes that are all like just soldiers in general. Um, Keegan Michael Key didn't give you a badass vibe. <laughs> weird, pin. weird. Pin um, and even some of the other people. Um, Theon is like a from Game of Thrones is like a ah. explosive expert, but he's like not in the movie very much. I could see Alfie Allen playing an explosives expert. He, he also just has a British accent, but he's supposed to be an American soldier, and it's mm. so fucking confusing. It is wild why he still has that. He's accent. an expat, man. I guess so. Yeah. So I'll, I'll stop talking about the Predator so much, but um, <laughs> there is a portion. 
where Olivia Munn is a scientist, but she's not just a scientist, she's an evolutionary biologist, as opposed to a regular biologist. Well, she I is think a, that is a genuine, a, like, a, a specified area of study. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. It just, it didn't, it seemed like they were just trying to mash some stuff together. Because she's yeah, also, I mean, like, a... I'm certainly not defending the movie's choice. I'm, <laughs> I'm a biological <laughs> biologist. <laughs> Who believes in science. Um, no, so she, um, she also dabbles in misunderstanding the autism spectrum um, and says that it's the next... I've heard about that. The next step of human evolution is that people will be on the autism spectrum. And you're like, that's uh, that is some problematic a to, shit, man. A lot to unpack with that statement. Yeah. And it's not good. Nope. And nope. Hearing all of that kind of turned me off from ever checking the movie out when it was in theaters. I might give it an HBO Max watch just to hate myself. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff on HBO Max that's like prime for like just a bad night. Like all the DC stuff, (laughs) the Predator. There's so so much stuff that I can just watch and not enjoy. Yeah. Yep. That sounds about right. And on that note... Let's talk about something we can watch on HBO Max and enjoy, at least as far as I'm concerned. Uh, We watched Studio Ghibli's Spirited Away, uh, which is... I I won't say arguably, but often touted as probably their best movie. Probably their most famous. Yeah, their most famous. The one that had the most success outside of um, Japan could be argued that Totoro also had a similar level of success, but I think Spirited Away is, it's kind of become the seminal Miyazaki flick. Yeah, definitely. Spirited Away uh, has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 96% audience score. Uh, released in 2001, um, kind of made its way over in 2002, uh, made $9 million at the box office. Uh, but was heavily adapted and released in America in association with Disney, which I think is kind of wild. Uh, but if you're not familiar with it, it is a basically a fairy tale in which a girl's parents, as they're traveling and they're moving to a new town, they stop in an abandoned theme park and their parents start or her parents start eating a bunch of food that's left out and turn into pigs, and then she goes into the spirit world to uh, figure out how she can get her parents back from being pigs. A whole lot of stuff happens on the way. You're introduced to all kinds of spirits and creatures and monsties, and it rules. Monsties and ghosties. Yeah, I love those monsties and ghosties. (laughs) There are five rotten reviews. One of them is, sorry, y'all, I give up. (laughs) New York Times. <laughs> yeah. The fabulistic story of a little girl trapped in a parallel world of spirits left me unaffected and completely indifferent. Well, that just doesn't make sense. I don't understand how that's possible. Sir, excuse me, sir. <laughs> sir, Please someone's on the internet! <laughs> 
Uh, so let's let's get into it though. What did you guys like about this movie? I mean, it's part of the studio, and you know, it's just how they do things. But the animation in this movie is a one. Um, yeah, there were some aspects to it. There's like I don't know if it's actual computer generated or not. Like when they do kind of the zoom in, zoom out stuff. That I wasn't a huge fan of, but like the actual, the actual animation, I was a really big fan of. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, I think you guys have um, a wider experience with animated things than I do, um, but I think this is some of the most sophisticated animation I think I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, let's actually let's touch on that. So Riley and I both have at least. A bit of a history with Studio Ghibli stuff, but Jeff, uh, why don't you go into kind of your background and what you had seen before? Yeah, so I mean, really, almost almost nothing. Um, we did Akira before, which none of you have heard that episode because it died on the cutting room floor. Um, and it was such a good episode. It was a really good, which episode. also not Studio Ghibli, but right. came out right around the same time. Right, and so so I have not seen any. Studio Ghibli, um, other than now, Spirited Away. I am familiar with it. You know, I've seen people refer to it and, and know they are classics and, and things like that as well, um, but don't have any a ton of prior experience with anything like this, other than seeing Ghibli or Ghibli or whatever we were trying to pronounce it at the very <laughs> beginning, so we did look it up just to be sure. Yes. Uh, so I I got into it actually with Kiki's Delivery Service when I was a kid, and I really loved that one. And then watched a couple others, but if you didn't own them, they're kind of hard to get a hold of for a while. But now that they've hit HBO Max, they're all of them except for one are on there right now. So the other really famous ones are like My Neighbor Totoro, and what are the other ones that are really famous? Uh, Princess Mononoke. Kiki's Delivery Service, Grave of the Fireflies, which is, don't go into that one expecting your normal happy Studio Ghibli movie, because it is bleak. But, um, yeah, so there are those, oh, Howl's Moving Castle, duh, that Mm -hmm. is a really big one, and kind of the one that, like, broke them into the common consciousness. Ponyo is another one. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so as this being your first Studio Ghibli movie, um, just what are your kind of overall impressions? Because you talked about the animation, but what what are some of your other thoughts about it in general? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I can see some of the hallmarks of. Um, I mean, obviously there there are hallmarks here of what makes really good films, right? So it's a a story that's well told. It has. Um, good high and low emotional beats. Um, I think that something that it, it does seem to really capture is uh, like this child acts very much like a normal child would, you know, in this scenario where they're like, she comes in very afraid. Uh, she comes in like very reliant on her parents, you know what I mean? And then like kind of learns to rely on herself and, and things like that. So I like the the storytelling aspect of this. Um, and it does a ton of world building, right? So there's this huge cast of characters, which is something that I think animation 
one of the one of the best things about animation is that you're not limited on like the number of actors or you know what I mean like you can create whatever story you want to create um and so to have this like bathhouse story where there's you know hundreds and hundreds of different characters that all like impact the scene I think is really unique <clears throat> and um I don't know it's something that's, that's pretty amazing um I also just really like the the animation style like and the way that because i think again like a lot of the animation that i've seen is like cartoons that i saw as a kid right so it's like Yu-Gi-Oh and pokemon and you know what i mean it's stuff like that it's and it's mm-hmm. it's not intended to be necessarily like beautiful and so i think that's something i'm having a hard time like describing it exactly but the way that they set the scene and there's a lot of like scenery that you get to find out like how things sort of fit together and so the world actually does get built instead of like this is a field where something's happening you know what i mean like it's about the world it's not just about the characters that i really appreciate sure definitely the point about it being beautiful and not really like being able to put in the exact word or adjective to describe what it is about it that makes it so beautiful. Like that's a really good point. I described it. I was talking to Greg and Brendan and um, cause they're both big on studio Ghibli stuff. And we were just talking about how like watching any Miyazaki movie, but especially spirit away feels like just like taking my brain out and like gently resting it in a bowl of like warm soup. It's just a very <laughs> soothing and cozy. I do that. Yeah. I do that frequently. Very yeah. soothing. Once a month, but you know, you know what I'm saying. It just yeah, like definitely. it's like a mental chicken noodle soup. It is very soothing. You know what I yeah. mean? Like the the I don't know. There's something very even though this story is exciting and there there are these moments of tension and things like that. There is something about the music and the art. You know what I mean? It's it does feel. I don't know. We might be getting a little high-minded with it. But. We're, like, story set aside with the music and, like, animation and, you know, how everything's colored. Uh, it is, it is, it does give a very therapeutic feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, I saw, I saw a tweet uh, because everybody's been talking about them now that they're on HBO Max and a lot of people can re-engage with this content. But I saw somebody say that they could watch the entire movie uh, an entire Miyazaki movie of somebody just doing chores and cooking. And like, I think that's spot on. I could just watch that for hours. Yeah, definitely. Um, but that kind of brings me to what else I really like about this movie. And pretty much any Ghibli movie is the score. Yes. Of this movie is amazing. Um, unbelievable score the the score is a really great point it's something i noticed a lot while watching it and like when i first watched this when i was a kid i was like nine ten when it came out and i i didn't have an appreciation for those things i didn't get that and it's been so long since i've watched this that i forgot most of the finer details this is one it works for kids and adults um, and you can really engage with it on a higher level when you do revisit it as an adult because you you notice those things like the score and where you've heard of that like any of this score's influence mm-hmm. in other media too like it's so similar to a lot of other things and both both visually sonically 
everything, Studio Ghibli is really influential and something I wanted to touch on. Like, Jeff, I know you'll get this point, but you've recently been playing through Breath of the Wild, right? Mm Mm-hmm tons of Studio Ghibli vibes through that oh, game. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's that's something why I think I enjoy that game so much and why it feels so special because there's something about the Studio Ghibli movies that has hardly been recreated. It's very difficult to capture that magic and I think the closest piece of Western media, and I tweeted about this uh, when I was doing my rewatch, but I think Avatar is the closest a Western studio has ever gotten to capturing the magic of a Studio Ghibli movie, with a close second being Iron Giant. Yeah, I yeah. think in the I totally agree. I think in the realm of like the the score thing too, there's a lot of like non. It's not exactly the score, but there's a lot of non musical like conversation notes that occur that also like become part of the background like when the little green heads are like hop around and go, hup, yeah hup, hup, you know what i mean like I, there's there's characters do like little movements or there's sound in here that's not exactly part of the music but it like totally builds that world like they have the the boiler room where they're all like click clack and they're like coal together and the like little uh-huh. coal sprites are like like you know what I mean like I, I don't know there's something this whole movie is very whimsical right but mm-hmm. every little character that doesn't even necessarily have a huge part in the movie all has something that makes them so unique so like if you say the little green guys the little green heads from Spirited Away people are going to be like yes I know exactly what you're talking about even though they have like almost no bearing on the plot you know what I mean and there's so many things like that that I think that's that's a part of world building that I think gets overlooked a lot is mm-hmm. how much do the minor characters, how much do you remember the minor characters, even if they have nothing to do with the plot? Um, and I mean, our, our main plot kind of disappears for about half an hour during this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then it comes back and like, there's almost a point where you're like, well, what's, what's going on here? Like we've kind of disconnected from this entirely, but you get so engaged with the other stuff going on that you don't really care. And then when it picks it back up, it feels very natural. And it it continues from a logical point to go from there. And that's something that, that for me is, is a, I'm not going to say I'm on the fence, but like it, it is both the thing that I appreciate and a thing that distracted me is there, there are portions of the plot where you're like, what is the... Like, where is the story going? Or, like, what is the next mm-hmm. step that actually moves this forward? Because at some point, like, like Haku comes back and he has the gold seal. And then she's, like, going to go see the other witch. And I'm like, this feels like a different plot. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, how does this fit in the main plot kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's only, like, 20 minutes left in this movie. You know what I mean? So there is some... You definitely have that moment because I had it as well. Yeah. Um, and it's something I was like kind of grappling with because it's like, I, I love what we're getting here. I don't know how it relates, but then it all kind of pulls together in a way that wraps it up nicely. And then there are just a few things that kind of go along with that that I'll talk about uh, in a little bit. Do we want to just go ahead and get into what we didn't like? Well, one thing I did want to touch on, though, uh, Jeff kind of talked about it with just the sound and the um the behavior of characters but i wanted to talk about the character design itself yeah, true with a lot of these uh i 
I really love the boiler man. Um, I, the way he, he's introduced and more arms just keep unfolding as he's doing stuff. Mm -hmm. That's, it's just such a really cool thing. And he's introduced so menacingly and he ends up being a very like supportive and positive character in this story. And he's pretty benign, all things considered. And I just, the, the character design of everyone is flawless. It's so good. I think something that a lot of Miyazaki films do, even though they are very whimsical and, uh, you know, child focused, there are a lot of almost horror elements in the character design, but not necessarily in the story or the way it's presented with tension or things like that. But I think a lot of the like grotesqueries and the way characters are drawn, especially like no face, there is a lot of horror elements in there. Like in that scene where no face is gigantic and like stretching his neck out with Chihiro in the room, there's so much horror influence there. It feels very similar to like the way Guillermo del Toro handles monsters. Sure. Definitely. I was going to say one of my comps for this is Pan's Labyrinth. You know what I mean? I mean, even just like, even Hellboy, when you're introduced to a lot of yeah. these other side characters, uh, they all feel they're all so unique and very lived in, and they're they're monsters, but they're not like monsters, mm-hmm. if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. They're not um, they're evil. creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, you guys ready to move on? Yeah. So I don't think, at least for me, there's nothing this movie really does hard wrong. It's more just the way some decisions were approached that didn't work for me. I think a lot of the a lot of the Haku stuff almost feels like it gets abandoned. Um, the her the whole thing with her signing the contract and forgetting her name that doesn't really become much of a plot point when it seems like it's going to. It's more of a plot point that serves Haku and eventually is how she gets. You know, she helps Haku remember his name and remember he that he is the river spirit. It doesn't serve things as much as some of the other distractions do. I think the whole side story of her in the bathhouse is much more um, driving and serving to the plot than the actual plot device of Haku and uh, him having to remember his name. Yeah, I don't think you even would have to say that, that uh, Yobaba is stealing her name. Right, it could just be like you're getting sucked more into this world and you forget who you were. So like the yeah. fact that Yubaba like keeps it doesn't advance the plot other than it's just like this other kind of weird detail. I does I do agree. It feels a little bit like a Chekhov's gun where they just never bring it up again. Mm-hmm. Other than that it's part of like Haku's thing. But then does is there like a contract that Haku no longer has anymore? Like, they have the slug, but that's different than a contract. You and it, so there's, like, all these mm-hmm. manifestations of sort of the same idea that don't necessarily run together. And I think there's some of that that does get confusing. Mm-hmm. And I think that just, it doesn't, it's not, like, actively bad, but it doesn't help me engage with the material. It It makes me want to get back to this main story of this world that we're seeing. Because when we see a lot of, this side story stuff with Haku, uh, it's very isolated from the rest of this world that we've been introduced to. And like to the rest of the movie's credit, it's like, I want to get back to that. I want to bring me back to that portion of this world. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. 
I think anytime that there's aspects of a plot that don't really work in a movie that I like, it's less that it like actually distracted me or made the movie worse for me. And it's more like to someone else who doesn't necessarily enjoy the other pieces as much as I do, like they would become sticking points for that person. Right. Mm-hmm. They're just like, wait, what is Haku? Like Haku's also a dragon. You know what I mean? Like there's those, there's those pieces that I think because it's not always very well understood that can get really confusing for people. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, the stuff with Haku is like, he's, he's a water spirit. So like he crossed over from being a water spirit to now also being in the spirit world. I think that was a piece that was confusing to me. Because he's like, I think he just has access to the spirit world. I don't. So know. my kind of my interpretation of it was that because Haku had forgotten his name and forgotten who he was, he was kind of stuck here as, like, stuck there in the spirit world and not able to go be the river spirit. Because um, as, as we know from Chihiro's uh, kind of like revelation at the end that uh, he did save her when she was younger as the river spirit, but has since then kind of disappeared from the world and been stuck in the spirit world. Mm -hmm. So I kind of took it as because he remembered, he can now kind of serve that role as the river spirit again. Yeah. But then he doesn't go back with her. He's like, I have like, you have to go from here on your own. So it's Mm -hmm. not like they both went back to the world. You know what I mean? Like there's the little things. Another thing that I thought was not distracting or confusing, but like there's this aspect where um, the movie for a little bit tries to convince you that Haku is like not trustworthy or that like he might be a good guy and a bad guy, but then they don't really ever hit on it again other than he also steals the seal from Zaniba and they like don't ever give any rationale for that. Like, Zaniba says that he's a thief, and then there's just no other, like, is he a thief? Was he getting it for a purpose? Was there someone that it was supposed to be used for? Mm-hmm. Did Yobaba ask him to get it? You know what I mean? Like, that whole plot point where he leaves to steal something, but it's there's no good or bad reason given for why he stole it, feels, like, really unfinished. You know what I mean? Like, if mm-hmm. he was stealing it to to help somebody back at the regular place. And so he did a bad thing, but for a good reason, that's, I think like a different, you that would be an element of his character that like helps, but it, it just, as a kind of, or even if he does it for a vindictive reason. Yeah. Yeah. Like just something to, something to kind of illustrate that motivation, I think just helps flesh that out a lot. And I think like in most movies that probably wouldn't be as much of a thing that stands out. But in in this movie, so much else is fleshed out and we have everything feels very deep and real. And it kind of makes those other things really stand out when they aren't quite the same caliber. Well, and like, so the whole the whole subplot of No Face is kind of an interesting example of that, right? Where this No Face character is treated kindly by by sin but also then comes in and and wreaks havoc and then really it was just like a bad environment for him and so then he comes out and he's like actually a good person but he he ultimately honestly has no impact on the plot 
right? Because I mean, he he um, has the gives them the oh, token uh, yeah, so they can I mean, wash the. But like that doesn't have an impact on the plot either. His whole yeah, his whole part of the story is just like the second act, really. Right. Like his whole arc is started and finished in the second act. Right. And by the time they get on the train, he's back to normal. And it's not it's not like I don't like it. It's just No. It is not what the movie is about. And so the fact that that gets so much screen time instead of maybe explaining why Haku stole thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like let's do just a little bit less of that. So I, ultimately I think this movie is created not for its original plot, right? Which is fine. There's lots of movies that are designed to create a world and create characters and are not necessarily about the story. Um, and that's what this felt like to me is it, it is a redemption story mm-hmm. of, of the little girl and how she grows up and how she has this adventure and, and becomes a stronger person. But that doesn't necessarily seem to be the primary purpose of this. Like it, this story was not mm-hmm. created to tell that story. It was created to build this world. I I think so. The the no face point is pretty good because I I really like the no face story. I think what it has to say about this a very evil looking creature like actually not really being evil, he just like is misunderstood and engages with the world around him in a way that uh is dangerous and quote unquote bad, but he just he can't control how much he eats and loses control of that and then becomes kind of this monstrous dangerous thing Mm -hmm. and then once once he's engaged with and that gets addressed uh kind of returns to normal so i think it's not like a good bad binary which i think is an important it's an important point to include in a kid's story to teach them that like there are shades of grays to things Shades of gray to things. The only thing I think I would have changed about that is that I think that in order for the main plot to tie back to the no-face plot, I think there would need to be some aspect of where she can't do either the journey or the final decision or whatever without no-face's help. But, like, she ends up... Like, she, he gives her the token, which helps save the sludge monster or stink monster or whatever. But that stink monster also never comes back. And then No-Face later, like, when he comes with her on the journey, like, she is being nice to him. And it shows an aspect of her character. But again, he doesn't do anything that advances the main plot. And I don't think it would have mm-hmm. actually been that hard to be, like, uh, Zaniba doesn't want to help sin until no face does something you know what i mean like there could have been a final Mm -hmm. even a small thing that like hinges on why his redemption is important so it is cool it just i wish they would have connected it back to the main plot yeah that's fair so let's go ahead and move into our standout scenes and i've i've got mine ready to go if you guys are still thinking well i think i think for mine, and this is very impulsive, just I think I'm gonna go with um, I think I'm gonna go with that other river spirit. Uh, the scene when uh, the big sludge comes in and 
it's uh, Chihiro that actually reaches through or gets through to the river spirit and is rewarded. And because it shows you how pure of heart she is as a character. Um, yeah, I think I'll go with that one. That's actually my scene as well, uh, but for different reasons. I think those are really good character elements are, that are included. But when when the stink spirit is approaching, like the the whole bathhouse like starts to lose it, and we're taken on this whole trip through the bathhouse, and suddenly it's full of these characters. It's full of what makes this movie what it is. And the animation when it's approaching is really good too. Like things are starting to rot or Mm -hmm. like as it's pressing against the curtain, the curtain kind of darkens where the wet parts touch it. And then just we're getting so much. uh, It's very busy, but it's not chaotic. Um, And it's just full of the world building that we've talked about so much in this movie. I think it's the best example of when we get to really engage with a lot of other characters and see all these different spirits and creatures and monsters that are in this world. Yeah, my, my stand that scene is a um, different one, but for very similar reasons. Uh, mine is like when the bathhouse comes fully alive um, in the beginning. So like when it gets dark and when you start to see all the spirits like Cross the bridge and all the frog people come out and um, they all go in and, and there's like giant ducks that are like sit you know what I mean like I don't know I think that was really cool because that shows not just all the people in the bathhouse but all the people who are like in this spirit world and you you get a full appreciation understanding like the boat comes across you know the the water and then you that's when you realize you're like oh this is not like um, a world she can get back to like she is now trapped on the bathhouse island and so that really gives you this full expansive you know understanding of how big this world is and the, the people that make it up so i think i like it for very similar reasons to what you guys like the sludge monster scene mm-hmm. all right letdown scenes and it's hard to say actual letdown so maybe a scene that didn't work for you if you or if you do have a real like stand or not standout letdown but a main yep. letdown from this movie. I think mine is I think mine's the reveal of Zaniba. It I don't I don't know. It's something about it just felt very like oh hey, well there's this twin sister that's actually good. And I don't know. Something about it felt yeah, just convenient. I don't. Well, also when she shows up, she is not nice, and then she's only really no. nice later at her house. Like she's like, if you scream, I'm gonna rip your mouth out, and you're like, fuck, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, so then later when they're like on good terms, and she's like, call me granny. Like I'm like, I don't know if you should trust this person. Like I don't buy that she's now a she, good yeah, person. She is a witch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I think those are, or that's solid. Jeff, was that yours as well? Um, I don't or did like. You have a different one. I, I think I might be stealing yours. I don't like the big baby. Um, yeah, and uh, I'll talk about the big baby. Yeah, I think the the first reveal of the big baby, and the big. I mean, babies are babies, but the fact that it can talk means that it should be wearing clothing is my big thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's, it's 47 year old man. <laughs> yeah. So that baby is big well, enough to wear clothing. Let me talk about this baby. And to talk about this baby and why I don't like this baby, we have to talk about another baby. I don't know if anybody had kept up with it was a couple weeks ago now at this point, like a month ago. Uh, time doesn't matter anymore. But everywhere I turned on Twitter, I was confronted by this damn gigantic baby that was jumping on people. It's and this baby's four feet tall. It's flipping a like Power Wheels Jeep and just like <laughs> running around being a big old hoss in the mud. And just like this baby is terrifying. It's the most horrifying baby I've ever seen because he's gonna kick my ass. Like the the baby the big baby upsets me to a degree that I just like didn't realize it was possible because I like babies. I like kids and it's not because he's like an ugly baby or anything like that. And he's just, he's too large to be a baby. Isn't, and it's just, it's isn't the whole not thing okay. that he's like one and a half, but he just is bald and they keep him in diapers. So he just looks like a gigantic baby. Well, see, that's the thing. I don't think he's even one and a half. That kid's like four years old and shaved clean. Like, Oh, that kid has just, a beard normally. Oh, the baby. Fuck. Oh, <laughs> it's so upsetting. Big baby scares the hell out of me. Uh, it goes back to the big baby from the like terrifying Rugrats dream sequence episode. Uh, that was disturbing. Which, yeah, yeah. And like, if you know what I'm talking about, you know, like, you know that if you know, you know. cartoon. Yeah. If you know, you know, just the horrifying cartoon baby that was tormenting all of the Rugrats. Uh, I just, and just seeing this gigantic baby, just, it brought all that rushing. I thought I was free of the gigantic baby. I'll never be free. Yeah. I did not enjoy the big baby. Oh. The big baby could rip her arm off. And that's what I believe about the real big baby, too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, everything that this baby does in this movie, the big baby on Twitter could do to any full-grown human being. All right. Domhnall Gleeson Award. Uh, Haku. Yeah, where are you? I'm with you. Where are you at, yeah. Haku? Yeah, I think Haku yeah, just, is like, hey, you need to do this, and then I'll I'll catch you in an hour, like an hour later of movie time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do more with the Haku storyline, and that, like, I, I'm totally with you on that. I really like the, the baby when he gets turned into a mouse, and the angry Yobaba crow when it gets turned into, like, a little bird. Like, that's, have them turn into those very early, and I'm, like, way more yeah. on board. Yeah, they were far better in that in that role. Also, I got one more note about the big baby. The big baby is afraid of germs, right? Like the big baby has continued to stay a baby because Yobaba won't let it go outside and has presumably poisoned its mind into thinking that everything outside is germs. And then that should be like a pretty big redemption arc, and they just don't ever bring it up again. Like Yeah. <laughs> Well, Seems like the mouse be... germs don't. I, I'm I'm too small for germs to affect me. Yeah, <laughs> and the the mouse is not afraid. Like there's, I think there might be like one scene where it like puts its foot down and then it realizes it's fine. But that seems like it should be a big plot point for the baby. If the baby has never left because it's afraid of germs, 
That is a big plot point that just never gets brought up again. So there's all these threads that get started and nobody really ties them off. Yeah. <laughs> God, just the big baby. The big baby broke my mind. We are not an anti-baby podcast. We're not. I like babies. I'm scared of them because <laughs> of the soft spot. That scares me. I just drop things a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm so clumsy. Yeah. Like, you oh, know, man. though, when whenever you like get a baby for real, they have those baby Bjorns where you can just wear them. Yeah, Catherine makes <laughs> fun of me. That's the right Because way. I keep talking about wanting a papoose, but I'm going to have a damn papoose. <laughs> you should get like two. Like, it's like lock and load the babies. <laughs> <laughs> babies akimbo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Do we have anything else? Um, sometimes we do a quiz. I don't think we have a quiz today. We, no, we do not have a quiz today. But uh, instead of our normal, we'll do this before we do ratings. Uh, instead of our normal, who the hell is this for? It's so difficult to try and do that with a Studio Ghibli movie because they are so unique and it's hard not to just pick other Studio Ghibli movies. Um. So instead, we kind of just wanted to have more of an open discussion about what kind of stuff you would like. Like, basically do the same segment, but more open instead of just drafting movies. Uh, so I kind of wanted to start it off. Uh, the As I talked about before, I think Avatar The Last Airbender. If you like Studio Ghibli, it is the closest that we've gotten to a Western studio kind of capturing that magic. It has a lot of discussion about the spirit world and like the way characters develop is really interesting. And it's got a lot of really strongly written characters and they go through a lot of change and development. I think that's an element in these studio Ghibli movies that you'd really appreciate in last airbender. There is however, another movie where the main character discovers a new world where they must fit in and uh, rescue uh, another character and that's Big Trouble in Little China (laughs) (laughs) who's to say it's not the same movie this is just a different adaptation yeah I um, I have one for this that I think you guys will appreciate but I think really the elements that you'd be looking for if you like this movie, if we're breaking it down, right, are things with really good world building and something that is light-ish, right? Meaning, like, it doesn't have to be, like, cookie-cutter. Like, it could have some scary stuff in it, but ultimately it's, like, light enough that kids can enjoy it as well. Um, And this is obviously created for kids, but this reminded me a lot of, like, Zootopia, right? Where it's building this entire world of... All these minor characters who don't impact the plot, but they're so important to understanding what type of world this is. And that's that's what I felt a lot of with this one was um, definitely some comparisons there. That's a good pick. Another one, uh, going way back with this one, and I haven't watched it in a while, so I don't know if it's something I super want to sit through and not not like that it's just older animated disney movies are sometimes kind of just like 
eh, you know, they're all right. But I think Alice in Wonderland has a lot of similarities to this. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's very close to being the same story. Um, like the White Rabbit is Haku. Yobaba is the Queen of Hearts. Like there's a lot of yeah. really similar stuff. And the way characters are handled and the this whole weird cast of creatures and characters is really, really cool. And that's something I think that both of these movies really share. I have a non-animated pick for this. Well, how many okay. how many picks have we done? Because I don't know if Riley, if you've done your second one or not. I I've done. We're not two. we're not really drafting, yeah. so okay. I I don't really have anything. Um, I think the Fifth Element fits well with yeah. this. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That is that is a universe that is totally brand new. It's very unique. If you think of like science fiction movies that have an entire world around them, like there's like. Bruce Willis as a taxi driver. You've got the orange-haired alien person that can't speak English, and then you've got like the opera singer. You know, like there's just so many things in there that are very like, even though it is action adventure and there is like shooting and stuff like that. Um, that that is a very whimsical science fiction movie, right? And there's not there's not that many. Most science fiction movies go in the dark, right? Because it's like this dark future what could occur and that one is like it is still like so there is some darkness but that has a ton of of whimsy and lightness to yeah. it mm-hmm. as i mentioned before um earlier i because i'm kind of repeating myself with all these things because they applied so much to the uh actual discussion but breath of the wild you just play that if you like spirited away if you like studio ghibli movies there there's so much to it that is drawn from all of this there are there are parts of the studio ghibli score that or the spirited away score that almost exactly emulate some of the notes from the ocarina of time theme um so kind of just legend of zelda in general but specifically i'll expand it even there even further uh not spirited away that's the movie but breath of the wild or wind waker both of those are really, really deep worlds that have a lot of these like whimsical spirit things and also like a little bit darker overarching um, plot that's going. And just the, the animation as well is for me very just soothing and peaceful. I'm stuck between two things. One is an actual movie and one is a book series. Um, and they're both can be very obvious. Um, so I'll just say them both, right? Um, so if you're wanting to do like a kids-ish movie that deals with the spirit world and like what you know what means to cross over or whatever, I mean like Casper, right, is a very mm-hmm. like in this realm. I feel like that was the honestly the first movie I saw that actually had ghosts in it, um, which. I don't know why that... You know what I mean? I, I feel like that was formative in, in understanding this idea of, like, it's kind of the same world, but it's not also the same world. Um, and then if you're wanting to get into world building, it's not everybody's favorite, um, be, just because of some of the allegories behind it. Um, but the you can't deny, like, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe universe, yeah. right? And that mm-hmm. book series, because the movies are fucking garbage. Um <laughs> But you can't deny that that universe is very formative 
to a, definitely to multiple generations of people of understanding Absolutely. you know this idea of imagination and it could be in the kids minds but it could also be this other world um so yeah that, i got definite vibes of that from this not to derail your point because i think that is very good um and a really great comparison but all i can think of now is the meme i sent a while yeah. back <laughs> C.S. Lewis, if one person doesn't get that the big lion is Jesus, I will set myself on fire. I think that was the first real, like, that, I don't know. You know when you're, like, learning about metaphors as a kid, and I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. that's a metaphor. And then later you're like, it's like the world's most obvious metaphor. Like, it's not, not even a little bit. Uh, yeah, you know, murky at all. Riley, do you have anything else that you were? No, kind of I, I, think, I think we, I think we nailed it. Okay. Very cool. All right, let's wrap up with ratings. What did you guys give this one? Jeff, you can go ahead. I'm torn on this one. I think it's probably an eight for me. Um, I think that it's. It's super well done, and I really enjoyed it, but I don't know if I have necessarily the exact same connection to it that others do, meaning that, like, one, this is going to be hard to access unless you have HBO Now going forward, but, like, I don't know that this is exactly the kind of thing that I would, like, fire up for myself to rewatch again, whereas, like, Akira, definitely, but I don't know that this is exactly, like, my niche but I don't think that means that it's not good. It's just not necessarily mm-hmm. exactly um, in my wheelhouse. So I would say this is a, this is an eight. I'm at a, I'm at an eight as well, um, pretty much for the reasons you said. And also, I do think this movie is a smidge long. Mm-hmm. Um, not it not to where it hampers it. Just I like I was getting ready to play it. And like oh, it's it's over two hours. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I do really enjoy the movie. So yeah, I'm going with eight. And I, I think I'm going to go with a nine uh, because I do think there is so much. This this movie's fantastic. Like we're we're nitpicking over it and still like bottoming out at an eight. Like it's it's a fantastic movie. It is what it is for a reason. It has the reputation it has for a reason. So I'm I'm going with a nine. I think it's hard to. I'm, I'd be hard pressed to give much lower than an eight in general to any Studio Ghibli movie, just because it is like exactly my shit. So yeah, this one's a nine for me. And with that, I think I think we can call it for today. This has been another episode of Who the Hell Is This For? Thank you guys for listening. 